Father, we thank you and we love you. Father, we seek now at John 3.30 that I decrease and you increase. Allow your people hearts and ears to be able to understand and to listen for you and to know you through the preaching of your word. May you mend hearts, save souls, guide lives, and transform us all, Father God, to be more like your son Jesus as we sit here today and to learn about you and to become a doer of your word. We praise your name. Amen. So for all of you, I am Albert Williams, pastor of St. James. I want to bring you to the catch you up from last week. First uh, John 3, if you would have your Bible, open it up. I'm a kind of Bible teacher to where I want to talk about the scripture. So get your, your copy of the word out, First John 3. And I want to kind of unpack the three pillars of, of confidence. The three pillars of confidence. Um, John is very clear with his confidence building that shows that we are Christians, we are believers, and we live according to our faith, and we can walk it out by the experiencing of God. And so as I unpack these three points, I want to give you an A.W. Tozer statement on my next slide. It says this. We have full confidence in Jesus Christ. That is a, that's a, that's a great accomplishment for Christians to know that our full confidence is in Jesus Christ. That, that separates us from everything else. There's no confidence in our flesh, no confidence in our money, our social economics, no confidence in our academia. There's no confidence in anything but Jesus. So in order to get to the confidence that God wants to have, we put full assurance in Jesus. A.W. Tozer goes on and says, our confidence rises as the character of God becomes greater and more trustworthy to our spiritual comprehension. Knowing God is not just head knowledge. It's the experience of God that makes it better, makes it sweeter by and by. He concludes with this. He's the one with whom we deal is the one who embodies faithfulness and truth. That's a key word today, truth. The one who cannot lie. And so today I want to unpack three points. Here's the first one. We must know that God is is who we put our confidence in, not our hearts. And I, I like to preach and tell people this as members of our church and members of our community. You have to know something about the Word of God to be able to understand what's coming next. And so I want to give you my disclaimer. Every time the gospel is being preached, it's preached to two types of people. Those that are saved and those that are not saved. The gospel is also, once we preach to the saved people, it makes two lines now. Those that are of good seed, good heart, and those that do not have a good heart. And that's important because before I go any further, the way you hear the sermon is going to be decided by which line you're in. How you respond to the sermon is dedicated by what line you're in. So not everyone in church is saved. I'm not trying to judge people, but I want to let you know that everybody sitting down is not saved. But this is a great place to get saved at. Amen? Everybody in church don't have a good heart because we've had some problems this week. We've had life happen to us. We've had some, some turmoil, some issues, disobedience. So even though we're saved, your heart may not be ready to receive. So I want to command you and, and usher you into le just lean in a little bit. Lean in. And that's God. God speak to me this morning. So John makes it very clear. He wants to um, look at verse 19. He's, I love the word of God when he breaks this down. 
Confidence. What is confidence? Confidence is this. The first word I want you to write down about confidence is this. Confidence is when you are encouraged. We come to church a lot of times and we don't, we're not encouraged. Encourage. I'm giving the definition of what confidence is. Encourage. David was very good about encouragement because David says that he's picking God to be on his team. I'm not sure about how you all look at, look at people in your life or situation in your life, but I've learned that when I started, when I was playing basketball and I just pick up basketball around the house in my neighborhood, we was picking teams. We was picking teammates. And, and, and if you're the person that never got picked in the city league or rec league or, or, or pick up ball, you was the one I was saying, me, 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 pick, pick me, me, pick me, pick me. And they kind of overlooked you because of your skills. But it's something about David in Psalms 124 when he says, I'm picking God on my team for what God brings to the team. So if you don't have confidence, have you picked God to be on your team and you play for God? The second word I want to give you for confidence before we go any further is called assurance. When I get to the point of showing you that how we must have confidence in God, you have to know your assurance must be there. This is what assurance is in in the Bible, a great story to understand assurance. Assurance, the, the three Hebrew boys was, was about to be put into a fire furnace. And this is what they told Nebuchadnezzar. They said, if God don't deliver us, he is still God. See, I serve a God like that. I'm assured that no matter what's happened to me, he is still God. See, if we're missing confidence in God, it's because we're not assured that he's still God in every circumstance, every situation, when I'm up high or down low or going through a valley, he is still God. And the last word I'm going to give you before I dive into the lesson is dealing with boldness. So there's some confidence killers I'm going to tell you about today in every one of my points. There's confidence killers. Esther had many confidence killers in her life, but one thing she did, once she put her trust, her faith and her assurance in God, she was encouraged one thing. She said before she go to her king, her husband, she says these words, if I die, I die. So now you see why my point is, you must figure out what line you're in because you're going to hear the sermon different. If you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior, it sounds like a, just a message. But when you have picked him as your Savior and you trust in him and believe in him, it's an old saying my grandmother used to say, can nobody do me like Jesus. You know, your confidence is in him. What happens to me doesn't matter. It's proven that he's still God. So let's unpack what John 3.19 says. So John says these words to us. We're picking up from the study that Pastor Taylor's dealing with. He said, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. So, so let's underline some words in your Bible, if you will. Underline the word we know. John is tying all of the, the biblical principles that he's laid out already in the scripture. He's saying, we know. He, here's the part. We, we are the ones that are in confidence. We're the believers. We're the ones that say, because again, you got to pick your line. You're in according to your salvation, according to your heart. So if you're not in a saved line, God is saying, those don't know. He's drawing a line to saying, he says, only the ones that have confidence in God knows that we know. This is a, write this down. This is a part of understanding. This is a progressive learning method. This is a progressive steps to know. How do you know? It's, he's saying in the Greek, he's saying to become personally involved with your experience with God is how you know. So just head knowledge does not get it. 
Just come to church would not get it. He said, when you read your Bible, this is the only book that the author meets you in, but you got to let him into your heart. So John is saying that when you know this, you experience this. And when you experience this, it makes a difference in your life to where you build trust. You build that assurance. You build that encouragement. You build that confidence in knowing that God is on my side, that God is going to bring me to it and get me through it, that God can deliver me. God can do anything that he wants to do because I believe in him, I trust in him. For God, I live, and for God, I die. So John said, we know these things. I want to give you a point to write down. As I underline it, we know that these things. Let's kind of unpack no, because Peter did not know him as his Savior, his Messiah, until he got the keys. And he says, only God could have gave you that knowledge. The woman had the issue of blood. She tried everything else. Then she came back and she trusted Jesus, and she got assurance then to know that Jesus Christ now is, is a healer. Well, look at everybody in the Bible. Everyone had to have an, a personal experience, a progressive step to know that Jesus Christ and God is who they say they are. And so people that don't trust him, don't know him, my question is, have you tried him? Have you tried him as a healer? Have you tried him as a deliverer? Have you tried him as a savior? Have you tried him as your father? Have, have you tried him because the word we know is a progressive step of saying that I am in salvation, I am in God, I'm in love, and it's not just a knowledge thing, it's not just a head thing, I got experience to go along with it. So he goes on and says, we know that we are of truth. Please underline the word truth. What is truth? Truth is the principles of God's Word. And, and John lays some of those principles out to give us a reminder to go back and look at what he's saying and to fast forward to what he's saying. He says in John 1.8, he said, if we say, here's the truth, if we say we, we don't have sin, he said, we deceive ourselves, and then the truth is not in us. The principles of God is not in us. And since the principles of God is not in us, he, say, he says in verse 1.9, he says this, he says, but if you confess your faults, all unrighteousness, God will cleanse you from those unrighteousness. That's the truth. He gave us another truth in 1 John 2.15. He says this, truth, principles of God. You got to act on these things once you know them. Here's the truth. He said, love not the world, nor the things of the world. Because if anyone loves the world, the love of God is not in him. That's the truth. You cannot operate and grow in confidence in God if you love the world more than you love God. Then he says in 4.4, 4, 1 John 4, 4, he says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's a truth. I can live by that principle because when trials come, the Spirit of God inside of me is greater than my trials. When issues come, the issues are not greater than my God. you got to learn how to have confidence in God. And so he's saying, e these are truths that we must live by. Pilate asked Jesus a question. He says, what is truth? What is truth? So you can have truth in front of you and don't know it. He didn't know who truth was. Jesus was crucified because he said he was the son of God. They didn't believe him. That was truth. There's so many truths in the Bible. The woman in John 4 and also in Matthew 4, when you look at the woman that was with Jesus in the mount, she was worshiping in the, in the mount. And Jesus came up to her and said that you can't worship a mount now because your, your people have been here. You must worship God now in spirit and in truth. What are truth? Principles of God that help you to see and experience the confidence of God. If you want confidence in God, live from his truth. Jesus Christ says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. 
So in this verse, he says, by this, John is saying, plain and simple, how do you build confidence in God? You must have, first of all, insurance that he is God. You must love him as your father. And you must know to live from truth. That means the principles that God has given us, live out of those principles. The more you live out of those principles, the more you experience God. And that's how you know him more and more and more and more. And he concludes with this part in verse 19. I love this. He says, we have assurance of our hearts, of our hearts. We get the word cardi from heart here. And it can mean mind or, or heart. Here's some things to write down about your heart. I want to make sure you, you're not, this is not something new, but it's something that maybe we want to venture in today. The heart can be wicked. Jeremiah says that, right? Our heart can be very emotional where we don't know where our heart is. It's, it's like tossed to and fro. Our hearts can be very hardened. Our hearts can be emotional, deceiving. Our minds can be double-minded, unstable. Our hearts we can't trust. But he says, but once you have confidence in God, God is greater than your hearts. Look what he says in verse 20. I want to unpack verse 19 and 20 together to show you some things. So when I read verse 20, I want to take my time and show you the, the assurance of our minds and our hearts. That's why he says only believers can experience God and be assured. Only believers can be assured of God's word and who God is because Satan can fool us. People can come in and, and do things to us. The world culture can mess us up. Society, social economics can mess us up. But behavior can change in us and our hearts will fail us because we will let our hearts judge us instead of God. We will let our hearts not condemn us. I, I'm quite sure you, we all from the South, we've been here long enough, we've heard this great statement of Southern hospitality. God bless this heart. We've heard that, but what we're saying is, I know something is wrong, but I'm going to judge my own heart according to what I want to do because it's who I am. But John says this. He says, all the things I've given you in the command before, I want to make sure you understand one thing. You must have confidence in God over your heart. We all have heart problems because we will look over people in need and we don't feel convicted. We'll do something wrong and we'll say, well, I'm not convicted. I'm not, I'm not convicted and we'll keep going. And sometimes our heart does convict us. But I want to give you a point about our heart. You cannot trust your heart. That's the whole point. And that's why we say lean not on your own understanding. John is making it clear, as a believer, when you stand in this line over here, you cannot trust your heart, you cannot lean on your heart, you cannot depend on, depend on your heart, you can't even go talk to your heart. And I know, again, I'm not the only person in the room that have been found talking to themselves. You ever talk to yourself? As long as you don't answer, I think it's okay. <laughs> but I ask myself time when I'm driving, I have an issue with somebody. I had a conflict with someone in the community or somebody, or even my wife or my daughter, and I'm like, Al, did you, did you do the right thing, Al? Al, did you, did you say the right thing? And sometimes I feel convicted by my heart. Our heart should condemn us. God is greater. He's omnipotent. If we live by the principles of God, we're judged by the principles of God. And 1 Corinthians 3, 4 says, we don't even judge ourselves. Let God do it. So I want to tell you, the first principle of the pillar is this. We cannot trust our hearts over God. Here's a story for you to think about. It was this young guy that was seven years old. He was taught by his grandmother, and his grandmother always told him, son, no matter what you do in life, always stand on the word of God. 
Whatever your friends try to get you to do, don't do it. Stand on the word of God. Whatever happens in our house, stand on the word of God. Believe in God and stand on the word of God. And everything you do, when life challenges come at you, stand on the word of God. And one day his grandmother went to the store and all of a sudden the house caught on fire. Couldn't go out through the front door. The fire was there. He couldn't go out any other door because the fire had engulfed the whole house. He went to the kitchen and, and tried to get out through the window. He couldn't get out through the window. He was too young. Too, his frame couldn't push the window out. Couldn't get it over, to, over the sink to get to the window. He finally pushed a chair up to the window. Still couldn't get up in there. He got one of these old family Bibles and put the chair there and put the Bible on top of the chair. Stood on the Bible and got out of the window and rescued himself out of the window, out of the fire. Grandmother came home. She was crying because she the house had been burned down. And she was calling little Johnny's name. Calling little Johnny's name. Never could find little Johnny. All of a sudden, he said, here I am, grandmother. Here I, here I am, grandmother. And she ran and grabbed the Johnny. And she asked him the question, son, how did you get out? Grandmother, I remember what you said. Always stand on the word. See, when the fires in your life come, have confidence in the word of God. When tragedies come, have confidence in God, not in your feelings, because your heart will mess you up. Your heart will deceive you. When challenges come, trials come, when blessings and prosperity come, always stand on the word. My next point is I want to make sure I make it clear to you about we can also, we, can, we have to always remember, have confidence in our prayers also. John is making it clear in verse 21 and 22 that when we pray, when we pray, we must always remember our confidence is in our prayer. And I want to give you some confidence builders about John before we kind of go farther. I like to build concrete before we build on things. Here's some confidence builders because I do have a praying family and I have a statement that I say, if you're going to worry, don't pray. And if you're going to pray, don't worry. If you're going to worry, don't pray. But if you're going to pray, don't worry. So if you're praying and you're still worrying, something's wrong. There's no confidence there. Remember, confidence is assurance, encouragement. You've got to have that. So here it is. Here's some good confidence builders. We know that God says where two or three are come together in his name, he'll be in the midst. That's confidence. We know that when we speak, God hears us. One of my favorite scriptures, Psalms 4.3. God has set aside him that is godly for himself. When I call on him, he hears me. That's confidence builders about my father hearing me pray. I know also, he says, whatever I ask and if I believe, I shall receive. That's confidence building. I'm building confidence into those that are in this line of salvation, this line of believers. But those that's not in this line, there's hope. Because all you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ and come in this line. More confidence builders. Matthew 7, 7. He tells us to ask, to seek, and knock. And God is going to show up and open doors. You will receive. That's confidence builders. We know that before we even pray, God hears us and knows what we pray for and what we need. That's confidence builders. We know also in Romans 8 that God says that the Holy Spirit is there interpreting us. Like when I go to Uganda, I can't speak Ugandan very well, but, and these people be laughing at me. I can't even speak English very well, but, but they, they laugh at me and make fun of me because of the way I sound. 
And I can't understand them, they can't understand me, but I have a translator with me. Guess what? When we have a messed up, jacked up prayer, the Holy Spirit says, God, he didn't really mean to say that. Let me tell you what he really meant to say. God, this is what he meant to say. I'm so glad I have the Holy Spirit. I build confidence in the Holy Spirit. My Father has everything I need. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all my... I have confidence in my prayer. You see my confidence now while I pray? So you should have the same confidence. Verse 21 says, about to behold him, but look at what he says here, church. I want to read this to you, the confidence prayer. Verse 22. He says, and whatever we pray for, if we ask, we receive of him. Whatever we pray for, whatever we pray for, do you have confidence in your prayer? Because your confidence in your prayer, you have to be careful what confidence killers you have in your prayer. I've had some confidence killers in my prayer. John is making it clear for us to realize if you're saved, you should have confidence in your prayer. Let me give you one of my confidence killers. Because everything that we have for God, know there's something that's going against it. Um, about 22 years ago, I was diagnosed with a, with, I had a, a pituitary gland dysfunction. It's a brain tumor, in my, uh, tumor on, my, on my pituitary gland. I, I prayed and fasted for seven days. Didn't know what was going on. I, I went to three different doctors. Um, I, was, I was being diagnosed with different things that was wrong. Not that doctors are all wrong, but it was a practice. And so I prayed and fasted for seven days. God, please give me the right doctor to give me the right thing because I am in need. Here's the confidence killers in your prayer. Fear steps in. Anybody ever had prayer fear? Emotion steps in. Um, selfishness steps in. You know? Doubt steps in. And you stop praying now. I was at a point to where I was praying, but I wasn't believing. So the confidence is going away. I prayed and fasted, and God gave me a doctor that had the same issue that I had. Wow, God, you really are. That's amazing. And so I would go meet with his doctor finally, and he would tell me what he's doing. He was a believer also. You can't tell me my God does not supply my needs. You can't tell me my God does not make confidence out of what he does here on earth for us. So I built more confidence. If you don't have that confidence builder, it starts becoming a confidence killer. And John is making it clear that here's the confidence builder. You must believe whatever you ask for in God is going to take place. Now, now, let me give you a story to make sure you take home with you about this because I don't want you to think that Pastor Al, Southern Baptist pastor, is a prosperity preacher, okay? <laughs> so I'd like to teach this point because I'm a realistic person when it comes to God. So when I first came home from college, I used to love going to McDonald's. And I would order a number six combo. Number six combo cost me $3.65. A number six combo was a filet of fish. And I have not had a filet of fish probably in 20 years. But I would order a filet of fish. Here's my order. Welcome to McDonald's. May I help you? Yes. I want a number six combo. I want a filet of fish. I want a whole piece of cheese, not a half, because they give you a half piece of cheese. I said, I want no tartar sauce, a light spread of mayo, because they put tartar sauce on there. Then I said, give me some fries hot with extra salt, and I want a Sprite with no ice. So I will order that meal, and I get to the window, and, and I'm looking for what? A number six combo. I'm fresh out of college. I only have like $3.65. I want to pay that price. And I want my sandwich with a whole piece of cheese, light spread of mayo, fries hot, extra salt with a Sprite, no ice. And when I get to the window, I expect 
to pick that up. John says, when you pray, whatsoever you ask for, if you believe, your Father will give it to you. But here's the thing to, to know. There's a conditional statement in there. Verse 22, have a conditional statement. Circle the word because. That's the conditional statement. The reason why you can ask whatever you want to and get whatever you want from God is because you do two things. You keep his commandments and you do things that is pleasing to God. If you keep his commandments and do those things that's pleasing to God, he said, whatever you ask for, it's yours. Now, let me go you back, take you back to McDonald's. The reason why I can order that fish filet is because it's on the menu. The reason why John is telling you God will give you whatever you want is because you're ordering off of God's menu. God, give me some grace. Number five combo. God, give me some peace. Number two combo. Give me love, God. Number one combo. If you need, if you need some, 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 some time to be in devotion with God, number six combo. Whatever you need in God, he will give it to you because you're ordering off of God's menu. So what he's saying is you don't come to asking for, the, for a Whopper because that's not on the menu. You don't come asking for things selfishly for yourself. You don't come asking for things that's not of God. You ask only for things that are of God and from God. Whatever you ask for in his will, it will be given to you. That's the confidence in praying, church. That's the confidence you have and that my God shall supply all my needs. See, John is making sure only those people that have confidence can come to God. So let me give you back to my McDonald's commercial, McDonald's menu again. When you drive back up to God's house, you go into the throne room instead of McDonald's, and you're asking the Father for a number six combo. God, give me more love so I can give it to First Baptist members. Give me more peace so I can take it to the community. Give me more forgiveness so I can have it on my job. See, he says, once you have the gospel, now you feed from that. And that's how you have confidence in God. And when you get to that window to pay for it, oh my gosh, you meet Jesus there. I've already paid for it for you on the cross. Because what you're using to get through your day is substance from God. And it's from the menu of God. See, if you're not assured about God, it's because you're not ordering from his menu. And when you order from his menu, he gives you grace. He gives you love. He gives you mercy. He gives you joy. He gives you peace. He gives you everything you need to make it through your day. But if you're not eating from his menu, you are struggling. And that's why it's hard to do church because we're trying to do church off our own might, our own strength, our own needs. And God said, that can't work. Come to my menu. And when you get to that first window, you see Jesus paid the price for you. He said, drive to the next window. And that's where you get your meal from. And can you imagine God in that window saying, here I am. See, when you pray, you're before the throne of God. And you get the joy of God when you meet with God. That's what builds your confidence because you're doing two things. You're loving people and you're pleasing God. That's a great thing, isn't it? So here's something to write down also. Look at your, look at your book, your Bible also again. The closing point of this. I want to give you a point of thinking about in verse 22. I told you to circle the word because... That's the line drawn in the sand. If you cannot keep his commandments and please, do things pleasing to him, John is telling us about all the things he's talking about in the first 15 verses. You can't see your brother in need and just walk away. 
You can't, you can't, you can't do things as of this world and think your heart don't condemn you so you can keep doing it. He said, no, no. This is how you get your prayers answered. So don't walk out of here and you don't have your prayers answered so you stop praying. Don't walk out of here and you don't trust God and so your prayers don't get answered so you stop trusting God. See, when we don't meet his commandments, our prayers don't get answered, so we start doing things on our own. We start becoming our own God. But God said, no, no, I still love you and I still want to answer your prayers, but you got to meet my condition. You must obey my commandments and you must do things that's pleasing and now you can order off the menu of God and get everything you want. My last point, I'm closing. This is the sweetest part of the whole sermon. When you look at verse 24, my last point is, <clears throat> how, do you, how do you tell somebody that has God that they don't experience him to the fullness? How do you tell a husband or a wife that when I counsel people, the husband may say, Pastor, I want more for my wife. And I say, what are you doing to get more? How do you get more from God? He tells us in verse 24. My last point is this. You must put confidence in Jesus. And before I finish, I want to pause for a second and ask you this thing. Verse 24, he shows you about the abiding. Verse 24 tells us that if you abide in Christ Jesus, then Christ Jesus will abide in you. If you abide in Christ Jesus, then Christ Jesus will abide in you. And once Jesus abides in you, you're going to experience something. That word again is we know. Again, underline we know because that's important. This is not unchurched people. This is not people that come to church. This is not people that, that, that say they love God. These are people that's hooked to the fountain of God through love, through salvation. You experience something. Again, we know is a progressive way of saying, I'm taking steps to know God. I'm taking steps to understand God. I'm taking steps to love him. I'm taking steps in my grace and my mercy. I'm taking steps in my strength. See, once you are taking progressive steps, you don't see God the same way. You experience more and more and more about God. And when people start talking about God, you'll know if they just only know him versus experiencing him. Underline the word we know. Here, here it is again. I'm, I'm going to finish it up. So, so he says this, we know. Verse 24. And he that keepeth his commandments dwell in him and he in us. Underline two more things for me very quickly, church. Underline the word keeps. 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 Uh, keeps. That means applying truth. Those that are applying truth experience God. Those that are applying truth experience God. Pastor, what are you saying? When I'm on my job and someone's fussing and arguing with me or getting the best of me, when I apply the source of God to that situation, I experience God in it. That shows that he's in me and I am in him. But as my, my, one of my, anybody got any distant cousins that, that talk slang? My distant cousin tell me, you cut the fool, then a fool is made out of you. John is making it clear he said, little children, he makes it very dear man. He said, little children, you have to follow God, and not just in words, but in deed. If you are saying you're a Christian, and you have love of God in you, and you're on this line over here, the save line, that has a good heart, he says, some things you got to do. You must experience God in everyday life 
so that you yourself can be a light for God. You can be a model for God. You can be a mouthpiece for God. You can be a billboard for God. But if you don't be a billboard for God, you're a billboard for the Satan, for Satan and for the world. Here it is. It's a dear mint of closing. He says this. When you abide in Jesus, Jesus will abide in you. And when he abides in you, you experience something that others don't experience. Abiding means you are planted to where nothing shakes you. You ever been on the floor to see those palm trees? When the wind blows up against it, it comes all the way over, like the matrix. And then it comes all the way back up. Here's a sweet endearment. When I witness, Acts 1-8 comes out. It's the spirit. When I have worship service, it's the spirit that I worship in. When I forgive people, it's the spirit that gives me that power to forgive people. When I love people that's unlovable, it's the spirit that gives me that power to do that. When I, when I just live life and I can, I can see people that are in need and I can help them out of my spirit, not my heart, it's the spirit that does that. So the whole life I live now, I'm living it in the spirit because Jesus Christ is in me and I'm in him. John makes his declaration and says we should be very proud that we have confidence. Here's my closer now. Put a small circle on your paper or somewhere around where you're writing on. Put a little small circle. I can tell mine at St. James. I don't see nobody moving. Put a small circle. And then make a small box beside it. This, this is the point I want to make sure you get it. Put a dot inside of that small circle and ask yourself, am I in? Am I in confidence? Nothing about life makes sense until you have confidence in God. The small box now. What confidence? Confidence in God over my heart. Are you there? Confidence in prayer. Confidence, the third one is confidence in Jesus. Once I have assurance, the word encourage means courageous, I'm good. Boldness, I'm good. If you're not bold in Jesus, in God, and in prayer, if you're not confident in Jesus Christ, being our Savior and our God, our Lord, because see, you must see the fullness of him in verse 23, the fullness of him. And what happens is that we take our confidence off of God, off of prayer, and off of Jesus, and we put it in other places. And that's where we falter at. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. I pray through John's writing and the words you've given me to preach that First Baptist and all that hear will have confidence in you, confidence when they pray, and confidence in Jesus Christ through salvation and the abiding spirit that give us power. Father, we love you and we praise your holy name.